With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. Podcast. I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. Uh, Steve, Iowa, 8-4 and four regular season. That earns them a trip to the Outback Bowl. And just last week kind of looked like it was going to be Holiday Bowl, but with the way things kind of uh, finished up and it, Penn State did not get the call-up to the New Year's Six because Ohio State did not get the call-up to the playoff. The Citrus Bowl, their pick there was a no-brainer for Penn State. And then the Outback Bowl had... Uh, eight and five Northwestern to choose from. Eight and four Iowa to choose from. Northwestern with the head-to-head over Iowa. Northwestern with the Big Ten West Championship, if you want to call it that. Uh, and then Penn State and Wisconsin both at seven and five. So pretty easy pick if you're a bowl venue that wants to have the most fans in place out of those teams in those seasons. I would say the Outback Bowl made uh, the best pick. Some Iowa fans having I don't know maybe maybe there's some some Outback Bowl fatigue, but man. It's tough to top that area that time of year, frankly. It's it's where I want to wind up living. So how are I mean it's been a few days, so how are the ticket sales and everything else going so far? I have you know? no I have no idea. No no clue. Um I have not uh don't have a part of any any charter or anything like that. Just any more with the way um with the way seasons play out, as challenging as it is to predict, I mean, if you know you're going to go to a Rose Bowl, you know, or a New Year's Six Bowl game, you know you're going to be able to sell um, sell tickets, probably, you know, sell charters, and, and the guys that own HN, I'm sure they would want to do that. But, you know, when Iowa was six and one, we were talking about it. But then when they went six and four, we stopped talking about it. I just don't think that there's going to be enough of an interest to, you know, for an independent company to sell a charter like we've done in the past. Now. I don't know what Iowa's ticket sales are. I haven't seen any stories per se, but uh, just basing it off of, let's just say, sentimental analysis, what I've seen on Twitter, which is anecdotal. Well, we'll break it down a little bit more when we get closer to the game, but um, just on a, on a cursory review of the matchup, you know, you've got Joe Moorhead, the former Penn State offensive coordinator coaching in Mississippi State, and, and he oversees the offense, so... You know, these are going to be concepts and things, um, alignments, tendencies that are going to be familiar uh, to both coaching staffs. I mean, you know, Iowa and Penn State played an epic game a year ago when Moore, uh, Moorhead was still uh, in Happy Valley. Now, the biggest difference for Iowa fans that don't know a lot about Mississippi State, I'm sure you've heard about all the cowbells. Uh, the one bowl game we went to in the Rich Rod era, we played them in the, it was still the Gator Bowl. Worst bowl loss Michigan's ever had. 
And the most, I never thought I could get more annoyed as a fan than when Florida State became put up 50 on us, the only team that's ever done that ever at the Big House uh, in 1991. And they, that damn war chant never stopped the whole game. Mm. But I will tell you, the uh, the cowbell is really close, man. Really close. It's the best word I would use for it is Christopher Walken called, and he thinks it's relentless. Okay, I mean it's. It is a relentless uh, 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 sound, but this would be cacophony. The best. Cacophony. That would be kind. Yeah. Uh, this would be the uh, this will be the best defensive line Iowa's faced this year. Uh, and Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat. You've got two guys there that I think have a decent shot, both of them, uh, of being first round picks in the NFL draft. And they both have uh, they both have get off. Uh, so, you know, for a school like Mississippi State, it's great for them if they can get one of those guys. To have both of them is a rarity, which is why a lot of people thought they were a cinch to go over their biggest win total of eight. Uh, but that's exactly where they ended up uh, at the end of uh, the year. And I think a lot of it was, you know, Nick Fitzgerald uh, broke Tim Tebow's quarterback rushing records in the SEC. So that's pretty good company. But when, when the season first began, he was coming back from a serious ankle injury in the Egg Bowl a year ago against Old Miss. And I think maybe him and Moorhead kind of butted heads a little bit that I think Joe wanted to turn him into his Trace McSorley, but just bigger and faster. And that's just, you know, he just doesn't have that kind of arm talent. You know, I mean, if Trace, if Trace McSorley had had uh, Nick Fitzgerald's body with his arm talent, we'd be talking number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Uh, and so I think after a while, they Moorhead finally settled in on, you know, I've, I've got to move my scheme to what Fitzgerald does best. And not to mention his running game plays to my defense anyway. Uh, and, and once they did that, they were really strong down the stretch. Uh, at the end of the year, and so they will be that. That's going to be a, a, a game in the in the in the muck in the mire. They're, they're both very physical along the line of scrimmage, uh, both Iowa and Mississippi State. Uh, and Fitzgerald brings you more of a power running element you don't typically see out of a spread offense. I I, I talked about him breaking Timbo, uh, Tebow's uh, rushing records. He's a he's a poor man's Tim Tebow. Very similar skill set, just not that level of God giftedness. So. Uh, it'll be a fascinating matchup between those two teams. It will be a terrific challenge for Iowa's offensive line. Game day prep represents everything that is special about college football. Show that you're a true fan by wearing your school's traditions. Get 20% off your order at gamedayprep.com with code BIGGER10. B-I-G-G-E-R-1-0. Game day prep for the true fan. Yeah, I mean, based upon what you said, it's a lot of what I've read with regards to their defensive line. And I, Steve, you know, we we often talk, and we will do so later on this month when we start making our predictions for the bowl games about, you know, typically in bowl games, you look for the team that doesn't want to be there, um, mm-hmm. which, which team's disappointed, which team didn't live up to their preseason expectations, so who may have that hangover. Uh, I and to that end, you may see Sweat and and Simmons elect not to play. We don't know that yet. That could happen. Yeah. Yeah. I already know a fan has elected not to play for Iowa. His career is done, which has been announced since we last spoke. I don't blame him one bit. He is somebody who is a likely. He's going to go in the first two rounds of the NFL draft, more than likely. He has measurables that will uh, score near the top of the all-time list for tight end talent at the NFL Combine. And given how the snap count uh, situation played out during the course of the latter half of the season, I think it was fait accompli that he was going to be done after the Nebraska game. Uh, TJ Hawkinson is going to play. 
although life will probably be a little bit harder for him without his running mate in Fant. Uh, there. So we'll see about that. What, any thoughts on uh, Noah Fant choosing not to play in the game and, and foregoing this last opportunity to play with his teammates? I, I think I'm, I'm, I don't like how this trend is evolving. Let me state this from the outset. I'm a capitalist and I have no problem whatsoever when your asset is your, is your body and your, uh, your physical prowess, and it's in a high-risk, high-yield uh, sport like football, where on any given snap, this is your last opportunity to capitalize right. on your asset. I have no problem with players deciding what is in their best interests, because for many of these young men, they're carrying the banner for uh, generations of family before and after them as well. I didn't like when fans immediately jumped on these guys when, when McCaffrey and Fournette started this a couple of years ago and fans immediately jumped on these guys as traders. I didn't like that because I'm a capitalist. Now what I'm seeing is it's starting to go the other way. Okay. And, and now it seems, and I listen to a ton of, of podcasts, as you know, and, and now we've got the same sports media people who were right in defending the players against criticism from fans are now basically saying, you have to go. Don't play. You're dumb. I, I, who the hell are you? You, you, don't, you? you don't have any more right to tell them to go than the fans that you were rightly criticized have for telling them that they have to stay. Okay? It's their life. If Peyton Manning decides that he just enjoyed being the quarterback at Tennessee so 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 cotton pig and month or much that he wanted to come back and do it again that's his decision not yours you know and these guys aren't some impoverished intersectionality tribe they're getting world-class educations for nothing not to mention all kinds of other swag and everything else i agree because i'm a capitalist that the the level of of consideration they're getting for the 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 value they bring to the university is out of whack which is why I'm an advocate as well for what for essentially leveling the playing field and freedom that players have as com, compared to the coaches who get paid handsomely but they're also just because the, the consideration isn't equal doesn't mean there's some poor kid at Bedford Stuy dodging crack dealers on his way to the fourth grade. All right. They're, they're not some impoverished. They're not in a tribe in Ghana. OK, relax. If a guy want I listened to I was listening to a show today where a guy was like, well, I can't believe that guy's not gone already. And, yet, and he was the same guy ripping fans for telling a guy two years ago that he had to stay. Who the hell are you? It's his life. He's a grown man. He gets to make his decisions, and then he suffers the consequences for them or reaps the reward. To me, that's the point. They get to decide, You only because you do only get one chance at this. You only get one chance to play in a Final Four in basketball. You only get one chance to, to play in a playoff in college football. There's only one chance at that, just like there's only one chance at getting drafted and making a life-changing amount of money at the exact same time. So... Either we believe in individual autonomy or we don't. We can't just believe in individual autonomy when it fits our view of the, of the, of the players as uh, third world country uh, refugees. Uh, no, they're not that either. 
Okay. And, and then, you know, uh, a lot of the same people that will sit there and, and fans and tell you that they're capitalist and they can move from job to job when it fits them mm-hmm. suddenly don't want players to do the same thing. There is a ton of hypocrisy here. Um, and I think in the end, those players can do what they think is best for them. And then they will ultimately suffer or uh, the consequences or reap the reward for it. And it's nobody else's business, period, end of sentence, whether they choose to come back or whether they choose to go. Yeah, I find myself anymore looking at some of these decisions by these athletes as if I were their parent, since I'm 47 and I, you know, mathematically could be, um, anatomically speaking. I would advise my son, were he no fan, I mean, I, I would try not to tell him what to do. He is becoming a grown man. You lay out the factors involved. You explain to him compounding interest and over time. You lay out to him that if you do X, Y, Z, then you're going to receive, you know, A, B, C. And if he wants to play, then I'd let him play. But when you have this type of, it's not a guarantee, but it's pretty close. When you have this type of life-altering money, that you can get a contract as a first-rounder if you can become a first-rounder. And even if you don't get a second contract, if you're smart with your money, then you don't probably have to go out and get a 9-to-5 or you get to pick and choose what you want to do. I would strongly urge them to do it if football was going to be their chosen profession. As you mentioned, The same so thing exists for Noah Fant against Nebraska. What the hell was he playing for? No doubt, and I think that that's what's coming well, next. I exceed its Vegas win total. What was he? What was he playing against? Well, he wasn't playing against Illinois, but what was he ostensibly dressed against Illinois for? What was he playing that game for? I think that that brings in another debate that we may begin to see creep in as the more years evolve. Um, they are for some of these guys who have the ability to make it in the NFL and get to the NFL. There are going to be these decisions. The clock is going to get sped up. They play a very violent sport. At some point in time, there are the axes of diminishing returns kick in because if you bail on your team in the middle of the season, yeah, the NFL guys are going to say, "Hmm, what kind of teammate is he going to be?" You know, you're going to have an ad. Your decisions will adversely affect your future employment at some point. But I don't know what that line of demarcation is. I don't know if it is the last game of the year. I don't know. I don't know if it all of a sudden you've, you you cl- start claiming you have soft tissue concerns and you have hamstring. You know, you, you, you say that you don't feel well. I don't know. But you know it's going to come. And if you start doing that, coaches absolutely could then turn into a black ball situation where your character your you know your ability to be a teammate in the future would be quick questioned but you raise a great point don't you think we're like, heading why there did oliver, why did ed oliver play a snap this year then what at all for houston why play was he um is, was this his third year yeah i mean he had to he had, yeah but my point is why not just sit out the whole season then no i i'm listen i i think it's it's coming I mean, let's say aj epinesa now i'm not saying aj epinesa loves every second of being a hawkeye but let's just, you know, say he's placed for Illinois. He is an NFL guy. Does he have some holes in his game? Probably. Does he need to do some work? Yes. But if he is he if he only has two years of tread on his tires and he's one hundred percent healthy, do you think that an NFL team can look at him and project, hey, let's get him in here and within two years 
This guy is going to be a beast. Um, we'll take him in the third round. I think if you sit out that that whole year, you're probably hurting yourself with regards to where you get drafted, what round you get drafted. Not that will you get drafted. It's just where. And you and I both know the economics of that. There's a much bigger difference than being taken in the third round than first round with regards to guaranteed money. And if you get taken in the third round, your really big payday is going to come if you can get that second contract. And if you get hurt before then, you're done. So I think that that would be a prohibiting factor for players sitting out that amount of time because many of them still, with only two years of playing time in college, are going to have holes in their game, which would potentially hurt their draft stats. I mean, can you think of any players this season, Steve, that before the year began, that if you were, you know, that you felt could have not played this entire season and sat it out and not impacted their draft status and still gone in the first or second round? Well, I mentioned Ed Oliver because he would be the most prime example. His team wasn't ex- wasn't expected to challenge Central Florida or or Boise State for best team in the group of five. And so I, I think he's a guy that could have tested this system and said, I'm just I, I'm just going to sit out the whole third year here um, and not play at all, because why would I risk it when I'm playing at a mid-major school? What am I doing this for? Mm-hmm. Okay. I really resented fans for being hypocrites in the standard they wanted to hold players to, but not themselves. I'm starting to swing the pendulum the other way, though, towards the fans, because uh, here's the thing. The reason that money's there is because of the fans. Um, they're the they're 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 the goose that laid the golden egg here. You have a market to capitalize in because the customers provided one. They demanded there was a demand for your services. Meaning it doesn't matter what in the Sam Hill, the Cincinnati Bengals, think of your services. If they can't get eighty thousand people at in Cincinnati eight eight Sundays a year in their stadium. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah. Now what I'm watching is I'm watching a lot of people in my media profession act like, and I know there's a lot of dumb fans out there and we dunk on dumb fans all the time. Okay. But the reality is dumb fans, smart fans, you know, uh, metrosexual, asexual, unisexual fans. Okay. And you're really digging deep. Everything's for them. They, they pay the freight of all of this. And, and so this idea, like they're not allowed not to have any opinion at all. I agree. Hey, push back on their hypocrisy. You've seen me do it. But this this is now pendulum. And the reason why is because there's merit nowadays in America. Unless you're, you know, this is why we love what Jalen Hurts did last weekend. Mm-hmm. There's merit in being, in being perceived as a victim of something. Okay. So I agree again. The consideration the players are receiving in exchange for their overall value of what they're bringing to the university with the dollars now at stake is not equal and should be and there should be steps taken to equalize it. That doesn't mean, however, that they're refugees of a third world country, um, you know, on, on a migrant caravan to escape oppression. They're not that. They're not victims. They need to negotiate a better deal, but they're not victims. They're getting world class educations. They're they're not victims. And so um, I, this idea now that we're, we're starting to act as if the fans are there for the players. No, they're not. The players are there for the fans. The customer's always right unless you don't want them to be a customer anymore, okay? So I agree the customer doesn't get away with holding the, the, the product to a standard they don't want to live by in their own lives. I agree. But then you can't just turn around. But these guys, these you know, in the end, these opportunities exist 
because those fans are paying discretionary income in order to create them. We can't forget that. You said they need to negotiate a better deal. Well, they can't. They're not organized. They can't negotiate a better deal. There's no collective bargaining in the NCAA. It's basically a take it or leave it proposition. Here's the scholarship that you sign. We've recently agreed to guarantee them for X number of years. Well, but, there's lots of ways to negotiate it beyond collective bargaining, and they've been doing that. That's why they've gotten all these concessions. How, 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 how have the players gotten anything from an organized standpoint, or it's just the NCAA giving some things so that the golden goose is not slayed? Yes. Yeah. There's lots of ways to bring leverage and pressure. Um, and, you know, the first rule of negotiation, one of the first rules in negotiation is whatever the other party offers you, you already had. Okay, so they've offered, you know, um, new transfer rules. They've offered, you know, uh, full cost of attendance. Um, here's the, 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 what could alleviate essentially all of this is it's very simple. If a third party, you are a grown ass man. If a third party wants to pay you money to appear at their car lot to sign a, a jersey, uh, to appear in a commercial. That is none of our business. All the NCA regulates is the relationship directly between the institution and the student-athlete. If there is any improper, improper benefit directly from the university uh, or anything that compromises the university's academic mission, hammer, meet, nail, and keep pounding. Beyond that, if Bubba the Love Sponge, who owns the number one car lot in rural Alabama, wants Jared Stidham to be his pitch man, none of our business, all right? And by the way, Bubba the Love Sponge ain't going to be able to pay you as much as he was paying under the old arrangement because that was a black market. And now since we've deregulated it, this is all income that has to be reported. And so he's going to be far less likely to pay you 50 grand to appear at his car lot when he's got to report every one of those incidents now on his taxes as opposed to he just he was just handing you a wad of bills under the table. I mean, that's what the college basketball scandal is. The college basketball scandal is uh, that a, a, a group of schools essentially conspired to use third parties to launder money in order to avoid admitting to the NCAA they were paying recruits and their families directly so they had the money come through a third party instead, usually a shoe company, so that they could then lie to the NCAA. That's what the that's what the scandal is here. It's called money laundering. All right. You're not going to be able to do that if you just deregulate it and you said to the players, you're adults. This is how you get around Title IX because you can't pay them what the market value is with Title IX anyway, wouldn't let mm -hmm. you the get paid the same as the football player so you just tell everybody else if ea sports wants to make a football game then you know we will set up a private association for players that you guys negotiate what you think is fair for using your number and your likeness etc and that all goes to you and that's your business all we all we regulate is the specific relationship between the institution and the student athlete. Whatever ha whatever some third party wants to do, there's a jurisdiction far more prominent than the NCA that handles that called the U.S. freaking government. And they'll they'll make sure that all of the I's are dotted and T's are crossed because Uncle Sam will want to make sure he gets his cut. And that's none of our business. There's no bigger fan of the Hawkeyes than the staff at Iowa's premier dish retailer, Big Dog Satellite and Solar. If you can't watch live, there's no better way to record every game than the hopper from Dish. 
Search or call Big Dog today and ask for the Hawkeye Tailgater Special. Well, well said. Um, before we go here, let's talk a little Iowa basketball um, before we get out. Iowa last night getting their annual trouncing at Michigan State. I, I you know, since the game was basically over with three minutes gone in the second half, like so many of them are up in East Lansing, I just went back and looked through the history books, which I shouldn't have done. I think Iowa's had, since, gosh, like Tom Davis left, Iowa's had three games there they've lost by 30 points. Last night, which, you know, should have been by 30, but Michigan State called off the dogs. Um, there's only been three instances since. Poof, Gosh, was it 1998 where Iowa has been within double digits of Michigan State? It was a seven-point loss, an eight-point loss, and a win a couple years ago. That was their first win there since 1992. It's just their house of horrors. It's it's disgusting, and, and I'm going to say this right now, that I will not watch an Iowa game at Michigan State ever again. Yesterday afternoon, I'm sitting around going, I know what's coming down tonight. Why am I even quasi looking forward to watching that? <laughs> and I tune in and I was even tweeting with like at the under eight timeout of the first half. I'm like, hey, it's like, I don't know, 1919 or 24, 23, something like that. I'm like, man, a lot of these games have been over by now. So I, they've, they've got my they've got my attention. Well, that was, you know, that was it. That was the beginning of the end. The next break was like 33 to 24. And, and then they were off to the races. Um, Iowa is just, you know, it's obviously a talent deficiency. So they lost to Michigan State. But really extrapolating and looking at the rest of the Big Ten schedule, the rest of their schedule, which begins against Iowa State on Thursday night, as well as Iowa played in New York, and as well as Iowa's backcourt actually held up in that game, which gave some hope, man, they, they just still get a little bit outclassed in the backcourt. And do you think that was just a matter of Michigan State being so much better or, uh-oh, here Iowa goes again? So I watched the entirety of the games against Wisconsin and Michigan State uh, for the same reason, not so much for the outcome, uh, but for from the framework. Um, you know, when I watched the tournament in New York, the first thing I, I noticed right away uh, was the commitment to conditioning. And it's visibly noticeable, obvious, even on television. And so that was the first threshold because, you know, you had these moving parts. Is Isaiah Moss going? What's Tyler Cook going to do? Is this guy healthy? Uh, you know, Luca Garza then has the, the situation in September. Um, yeah, you know, this has kind of been a roster for all of the guys coming back for a lot, so many familiar names. You, 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 it's still somewhat been in flux here during this off season. So the, the, the initial threshold to me that I would, that I, I was impressed by is the obvious commitment to strength and conditioning. All right. That takes discipline commitment. They, they took that to the next level, but now when you get into big 10 play, you get into the teams that know you really well. And, and they have a jump start on scouting. Um, and, and especially if your weaknesses that you had last year carry over, this is now when you're going to see them. Is this, is this new thing where we're playing these Big Ten games the first week of December? Because most teams in the Big Ten right now have really played 
essentially a two game schedule. Whoever they played in an exempt tournament, and then, you know, that collection of games for one weekend, and then the Big Ten ACC challenge. And in between that are games you're largely just scheduling W's. And and so you haven't really had too many uh, even opponents yet that, that really could out-athlete you or if you're a, a, a Big Ten team, stand up to you physically. That required a lot of adjustments. And a lot, so a lot of the tape that Big Ten teams are going to be going by for these first weeks of mat, first week of matchups in December, is they're going to first of all see if the, the particularly you know, a team like Iowa with all these guys coming back, we're going to go by a lot of the scouting report we saw last year, and you got to show us that you know you're left-handed now instead. You have a you've got a counter, and what concerns me is these two games look like basically every game Iowa lost in the Big Ten last year. You, when when Ethan Happ fouls out, and I don't care what's with 48 seconds left, I, there's no one at Wisconsin who believes the game got easier when Ethan Happ fouled out. Okay, that's a terrible spin, terrible take. All right, their best player not on the floor for the three most important possessions of the game wasn't good for them. Period. If, if you're not gonna, have, if, if Ethan Happ fouls out, and you're gonna be up seven with 10 minutes to go, you have to win. I mean, you just you're at home. That. You have to win that game. Um, Wisconsin bar- didn't shoot 50% from the field. They barely shot 30% from three. The rebounding battle was even in that game. That is the framework for what uh, for what the game needed to be for Iowa to win. And they gave up 30 points in the last 10 minutes of regulation of that game. And then you turn around, they give up 43 points in the first half against Michigan State. That's 73 points in 30 minutes of gameplay based off of teams that are largely going to go by the scout they used against you last year. And I watched Iowa. I, D, Iowa's defensive effort is all I watched in the second half. That's all I watched is the defensive end of the floor. And I'm just telling you, I didn't see guys. No, I'm not, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching with the naked eye, but I'm watching. That's all I'm watching for. Cause you're right. The game was over. I don't see a lack of defensive effort. I, I, I don't see a lot of defensive talent. I still don't see how you you don't have a, a rim protector, um, you don't have, uh, you know, a guy that can cut down on dribble penetration. But it's not a lack of effort. What I don't understand is what your purpose is. You know, like what is the goal of your defense? Do you want a team to drive baseline, uh, where your kind of where, where where your help is at? Um, do you want to for, do you want to say to a team, hey, if you beat us by 20 feet uh, out of 20 feet, you beat us out of 20 feet? Uh, do you want to say to it is, is the goal, hey, you know what? The goal is no second shots. Do you know what I'm getting at? What mm-hmm. what what's the point of the Iowa defense? What I see is like soccer. There's a lot of effort and a lot of running around and a lot of sweating. But it's just kind of pointless meandering in the middle of the pitch. The ball's not going anywhere. You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say? It's like it, it's, it's, everybody's working real hard. I don't see anybody working really smart. Like, I don't know what it is. What's the goal? We take your best player away, and if you beat us with somebody else, we put up with it. I, I, don't, I don't see what their, what their purpose is in how they play defense. And I don't think it's an effort thing from the naked eye. Now, I think it's the kind of thing if you go into a year where you start struggling again, it can become an effort thing, but that's not going to happen in December. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know 
when when you when they coach defense at practice, I don't see any evidence of all right, guys. Our goal at Iowa is blank, and and maybe you know, you want to be multiple. You know, some teams you have to be. You know, there's different styles in the Big Ten. Okay, so the number one thing then I would want to do against Michigan State is I, I can't let Nick Ward punish me underneath. I can't allow that. And if Javon Langford and Cassius Swinston hit 12 threes, then there's a reason they recruit better than me every year, and I live with it. But I, but I can't let Nick Ward just camp out there and go 10 for freaking 10. I can't do that. Or if I'm going to let Nick Ward go 10 for 10, then I tell Nick Ward, you got to go 14 for 14 because I'm not letting you kick it weak side to wide open shooters because three points are more than two. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? What yeah. you give away some trade off. What is the point of their defense? What are they trying to do? What is the purpose? What's the Iowa brand? You know, North Carolina, we overplay passing lanes. Tom Davis, you know, we want to create turnovers to get as many possessions as we can to speed the opponent up. What, what, what? What is it they're trying to do? Because all I see is is running around, but with like they don't play together. They're, they're, I don't see what the scheme is. I left some silence there on purpose. Um, are you under the impression that Hap fouled out with ten minutes to go? No, under a minute to go. Isn't that what I okay. said? I thought it said ten minutes, but that's okay. Sorry. All right. Let me. Let me. You know what? Ask me about that just to clarify it, just to be sure. Okay. Before I answer that question, Steve, I just want to make sure you you, you know that that Hap fouled out with like a minute to go, not ten minutes yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I said a minute to go. I'm sorry if I did not. It was like 48 seconds to go. Yeah, yeah, 45. And, good job. and I had okay. a few Iowa fans say to me, "Well, you know, he's not a good free throw." There is literally no one in Wisconsin that believes the game was easier to win with Ethan Hap out of the game. Nobody. So that was the point. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, on defense, um, I, I we talked about it all off season. Commit to playing his own. And be his own why, team. Why have they abandoned this? Can you explain this to me? They, they they still are they still played more zone than not. But I wouldn't play a second of man-to-man defense against Michigan State. Are you kidding me? I mean, if you say John, there's one team on your schedule, one team on Iowa's schedule that you can't play any man-to-man again. Okay, I'll say Michigan State. Thanks. Next, next. I mean, I, I don't get it. Just go be competent at something as opposed to trying to do other things. Tom Davis, I mean, I don't have all the games committed to memory every play, but he was very reticent to come out of his zone defense. That's who they were. They stayed in it. Sometimes the other team got them, but that's what they stayed in. Tom Davis did what he did because, you know, it was his style, but it worked well at Iowa because of the level of player that Iowa was regularly going to recruit. And you can play a zone defense, and if you execute it and teach how to rebound and box out of it, then you're going to actually be able to play better than your collective talent level at times. Iowa, playing man-to-man, no. They don't have perimeter guards that are going going to stop the ball. Just not going to happen. And when Luca Garza gets in foul trouble, um, you know, Ryan Creener came in and got in foul trouble. You already are redshirting Jack Nungy. You you are Pemsel. Cordell Pemsel is already done for the year from an injury standpoint. Starting to get thin on the back there. Can't do it. So, I don't know. I think that let's see what happens when they kick it back in. They're going to play on Thursday night against Iowa State. Not sure if we'll see Joe Wieskamp. Fran McCaffrey's answer. If I, was, if I went to a press conference, I said, Fran, the number one goal of your defensive philosophy at Iowa is what? What do you believe his answer would be? 
I have no idea. See, I don't either. I don't I don't see it. I don't I don't get what it is they're trying to do. I don't get it. You know, yeah, I, I, don't I, don't, get, I don't get what they're I, trying to do on offense. I don't get the idea, you know, if because at Michigan State, they use their defense to build their overall identity of physicality. All right. So they're trying to bully you on both ends of the court. I, I don't know what it is they want to do on the defensive end. What's the purpose? That's the question. I, and I, I would love if any of because I know some of your uh, media brethren listen to us every now and then. I'd love it if those guys that have asked that kind of access, if they could ask, just you know, respectfully ask that question. Hey, coach, what's Iowa's defensive philosophy? What is it? I'd like. I don't know. Why don't you call in to the Carlos O'Kelly's Call Fran McCaffrey show next week and ask him? I'm happy. You know, when is when's the, when's the show? When is it? I, I <laughs> I'm not going to subject you to that. Oh, I didn't even. First of all, Carlos O'Kelly's, I think, are all closed now, aren't they? Or is there still one in Iowa City? I think, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I haven't listened to one of those things for so many years uh, because they make my ears bleed. Uh, but Dolph's still doing that. Hey, by the way, last thing. What did you think of the Gary Dolphin suspension? Oh, I, 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 that's I, a heavy I, sigh. I struggle with stupidity. Uh, mm, mm, I can't. Yeah. I can't even. I'm the guy that. And yet we've been friends I, for 20 years. <laughs> you know this about me. I'm the guy that when I watch debates in my day job, even when it's the guy in the party I don't typically vote for, if they're bombing, I feel like I need to fix it. You know, I just I I I I, I have to turn the channel when there's going to be a scene where a guy's going to face plant or meltdown. I'm uncomfortable. I can't. I, when my kids were little, I couldn't watch Diary of a Wimpy Kid with them. Because the poor kid just face planted so many times, I wanted to leap into the script, change some scenes, and fix it. Okay, I can't, I, I, I don't, stupid is a problem for me, you know? And the level of dumb in this story is intergalactic. First of all, um, Jeff Kahn called and said, turn the damn mic off, kid. All right? <laughs> Studio number one. Oh, man, the comments had enough. Come on. Um, number two, I, I, and, and Dolph's a vet, and he has to know better to some extent. Although, what did he say that was so terrible? You know? But I get it. You want Okay, I'll, I'll give you the most benefit of the doubt. And I mean you. I mean like the nebulous you, okay? I'll give the nebulous you the most benefit of the doubt that he's got to have hot-colored glasses, be a total cheerleader. Okay. He apologized. So why did you put out that statement talking about what was an ongoing tensions or something? Um, what what is they must not be hiring? Um, they must not be hiring at Directv because the only place that has dumber employees I've ever met is at the athletic than that is the athletic director current AD at Iowa. He is the worst AD in our league. It's very clear the administration there just doesn't care. Uh, beyond just embarrassing the, the university on a politically correct issue in a court of law and costing it money, turn this into a three-day story. Those young, the, the young man there at Iowa, uh, why make this? Yeah, he doesn't need to, this just made it even more awkward even for him. Here's what they should have done. What they should have done is ex either A, accepted Dolph's apology and just moved on. Or B, 
you know, let me throw something like wacky out there, you know, like, I don't know, man, like maybe dudes like are, have the foresight to justify their seven figure salaries. Maybe uh, just maybe. And I came up with this on Twitter, like in three seconds, a week and a half ago. And I'm not that smart. I like my kids say, say I'm, I'm SMRT smart. I'm not smart with the A. I'm SMRT smart. What time does the show start? Okay. And I came up with this in three seconds. How about we like shoot a video that goes viral and people get to like donate money. How many suicide sprints can Dolph run as penance for running his mouth and all proceeds go to the University of Iowa Children's Hospital that has become the toast of the nation and made Iowa football the new darling tradition in all of collegiate sports. And you make it funny and viral and you got Dolph out there and you're playing and you edit the video to make it with funny music and dude is crawling on the floor and he's doing belly flops because he can't go up and down the gym one more time and it's through three minutes long and it's viral and Scott Van Pelt plays it on Sports Center. It's got a million views on Instagram and YouTube and it's ha 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 funny 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 everybody rallies around it even Pat Hardy might smile you could do something like that but now nah, we're not gonna we're not gonna do that we're gonna show our ass uh, and then we're gonna hand you red pom-poms for the next time Wisconsin comes to town that's what we're gonna do complete and total freaking joke I'm not even an Iowa fan and it made me mad made me mad to watch and these and, and I guess I shouldn't have expected the coach and the AD to show that level of foresight since they've yet to show it in the jobs they get paid full time for. Um, and I just think uh, Dolph deserves a lot better. And he's been a loyal soldier. And even if you believe he messed up, I didn't. All he did was just say what 90% of their fans already know. But fine. You want his jobs to be the loyal soldier. And that's the job he took. Cool. He apologized. And instead, they made this a week-long controversy for reasons only a law knows. Yeah, I think that um, the specificity, the specificity with a player is really one of the biggest problems here. Number two, the biggest problem is is, is he and Fran um, have had run-ins in the past, which most people weren't aware of until Gary Barta in his press conference wrote past tensions. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Just, just stupid. It's dumb. You blew the story up. Past that's unfair, frankly. Um, yeah, your idea would have been fantastic. By the way, I didn't also, see that tweet. Here's the, thing, here, here's the thing, Fran McCaffrey did. He just fulfilled every trope, every stereotype. Oh yeah, he's the guy where we just we're, we're gonna start doing uh you know, uh plus one ten. Uh, is it at the twelve minute timeout or the eight minute timeout? Fran McCaffrey loses his marbles uh, over some contrived call. Uh, you know, and uh, he's the uh, nit Bobby Knight, just uh, you know losing his poop every night, showing his ass to go eighteen and twelve. Right? All he did was just say, hey, yeah, that that was me. That that's me. I'm that guy. That's all he did this week. And what's what's a saying you've heard me say for many years? When you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelped is the one that hit. And the one that yelped is the one that got hit. And they literally stood up today, Gary Barter this week, and Gary Barter, Barter and Fran McCaffrey literally said last week, yeah, we're, we're exactly who you think we are. That's us. You're right. Terrible. Terrible. Fire everybody for that. Just for being dumb. <laughs> for Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.